0: Hey, what's up, y'all? It's the Black History Fashion Show. It's your host, Lester K. Hill, back for another episode this week. This time, we're more fashion than history. Not the fashion you're wearing, but the fashion you're living in. Exciting show this week. Thank you for once again letting us into your headphones, your earphones, and into your lives. We've got a great show this week, and uh, I can't wait to get to it. So right after this little bit of music, we're gonna talk a little Netflix again. A little television. We're gonna talk about Black AF. Now what the heck is that about? Well, you're about to learn. So, snuggle those headphones in a little tighter. Okay, here we go. Uh, I hope you guys are getting some sunlight. I hope not everyone is just sitting at home locked down in cell block C. If you're in California, go out there and get some sand in your toes. Go get in the Pacific Ocean. Gavin Newsom, he cannot lock down the entire Pacific Ocean. But I shouldn't have to tell you that. Okay, so what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about Black AF Hashtag. But uh, it's a show on Netflix out right now. I sat down this week. Well, actually, over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking about watching it. My wife was watching it. Actually, I was kind of walking in and out of it, thinking, "Oh my God, what in the world are you watching?" And then little by little, I got hooked into it. So uh, I spent some non-work hours this week examining, watching. And I have to admit, enjoying a bit of black AF. So I thought it was interesting enough interesting enough to talk about with you. I think it is significant enough. I think this guy Kenya Burris is sig- Barris, I'm sorry, is significant enough to talk about here on the Black History Fashion Show. So Black AF. First of all, I'm not recommending it. Lots of swearing. <laughs> lots and lots and lots of swearing. So, if your taste in television or movies is more on the spectrum of a an elders meeting at your church, then I don't think you should watch it. I would not recommend it to you. So, it's your boys, your host, waiting through the sewers for you so you don't have to. If you're not disposed to do that on your own so black af created by kenya Barris. now he's the writer for blackish another show that you might not have watched we'll talk about it in a little bit grownish girls trip um, several other shows that he has uh... written for i think he's also involved with america's next black model or something (laughs) like that so anyway he has been successful this Black AF is based on his life, just like Blackish is. So it's a self portrayal. You can think of Black AF as the Curb Your Enthusiasm to Larry David's Seinfeld. It's like that. Seinfeld, obviously, the story of Larry David's uh, experiences, right? Famously so. And then he comes back with Curb Your Enthusiasm, which picks him up picks up his life and where he is playing Larry David. He's himself. He's portraying himself on screen. And uh and it's bodier, obviously, than Seinfeld. And so you can think of Black AF in the in the same way. Kenya is the star. It's a self-portrayal of his life as a writer. Married six kids on the show. Successful wealthy and I think he peels back a little bit of what it's like for him. I, I I don't know him well, but it's a self-portrayal, and I'm sure there's some honesty in there. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's some of the real Kenya in it, and then I'm sure there's a lot of television in it. He got $100 million from Netflix. Man, I, uh, I went from kind of knowing, barely knowing who this guy is, to... Looking at that $100 million, and I thought, man, okay, Kenya. Netflix is foolish, obviously. They throw around a lot of money, but he'd be the bigger fool not to take it. But even that $100 million got my attention and made me think, maybe I should watch this a little bit. I did watch or make some attempts to watch Blackish um, in the past. Really wasn't that into the show. But I thought I'd sit down and watch this. There's eight episodes in the first season, I watched seven, so this isn't a comprehensive breakdown episode by episode, there are no spoilers in today's podcast, but seven, well maybe seven and a quarter I thought is enough to talk about it intelligently and uh, to talk about some of the, the, I don't want to say themes, I don't know that they arise that strongly, but some of the undercurrents or currents in Black AF that I think will be interesting to you the listening audience. It certainly was interesting to me. But before we get to black AF and I've referenced it a couple of times, let's talk a lit little bit about Blackish. Quick word on it. Blackish has its moments, but it's mediocre. Especially now watching Black AF and comparing it to Blackish. Blackish is even more mediocre than when I first encountered it, and again I didn't watch a whole bunch of episodes of Blackish. I I, I watched it enough to know I wasn't going to watch more of it. And the turnoff for me in Blackish wasn't so much the formulaic uh, sitcom setup, or the name of the show, which I dislike intensely on a few levels. Um, at root, Blackish catches me. It just catches me wrong. It it sounds bad. In my ear I had a boss one time who called me. He goes, Hey, do you watch blackish? And I'm like, Ugh coming from a white dude, that just do I watch blackish? Why would you think I'm watching blackish? <laughs> uh, we've worked together for a number of years. You does that sound like something I'm gonna watch? And so I think I know what's prompting you to think I would watch it, but I'm, I wasn't. So anyway, the title just was a barrier for me. And it, so, but it wasn't just the the title of the show, right? It wasn't mainly the title of the show that turned me off to it. It was all of the throwaway lines about black people, uh, poor black people, lower class black people uh, in blackish, that really got to me. There was one episode where the main character played by Anthony Anderson, and Anthony Anderson is portraying, honestly, uh, Kenya Barris in the show. But the main character he had there's an episode where he's reconnecting. Well, with his friends from the neighborhood, from the ghetto where he grew up. He's successful now, but he doesn't want to lose track with them and they're reuniting. Uh if I remember correctly, someone in their acquaintance in their circle and their crew had died or something tragic had happened, so they were reconnecting. And there's certain events that take place where the connection's just not there anymore because Anthony Anderson's character is living differently than these guys who never made it out. So the show concludes with Anthony being frustrated by his friends, them being frustrated with him, and they really kind of part ways, not um, in an irreparable or irretrievable way, but they're not gonna just reconnect and form again. And so Anthony says, one of the gifts he's going to buy for his friends, because he had been showering them with gifts, you know, partly out of guilt and partly to impress them, but he decides, well, I'm going to buy some different kind of gifts that really match who they are. And he buys them, he says, he says he is, we don't know if he follows through, but he says he's going to buy them vasectomies. Because, quote, we don't want those genes reproducing, close quote. Now that might be not exactly verbatim, but it's pretty damn close. I sat there with my mouth with my chin on my chest. It was kind of a joke. It was kind of meant to be funny, but those words coming out of a white face, ABC would have had its studios burned to the ground. And I would have been the one holding the gas can and matches, believe me. That was un- an unbelievable attempt at humor. I'm gonna be gracious and say it was an attempt at humor. I-, I really didn't take it that way. And those were the kind of comments you would get offhand in Blackish where out of the blue, bang, right in your face, just the utter, utter uh, contempt for um, ordinary black Americans, lower class black Americans. And it were, they were comments and they were lines that would not be tolerated in any other show. So blackish, when I'm, I'm watching this and I'm going, wow, this really is kind of the uh, televisual, <laughs> to borrow James Poulos' uh, phrase, th- word. this is the televisual declaration of independence of affluent black America from lower class black America. You know, they were telling us right to our face. And I'm saying we. I'm not lower class, but <laughs> let me just say this. I, I, I my affinities are more, more for the lower class than the elite class of blacks, uh, even though I would qualify as being in the elite class. But it's, it's them telling us, we're gonna make fun of you because we have the space to do it. And you can't hit us back. There's an ocean between us, right? It's, well, we have this platform. We want to say some stuff about y'all because you kind of embarrass us. And another way to look at black is, uh, or at least the way I saw it, is part of the rising self-awareness of the black elite. If we switch to Terminator, it's it, the Terminator uh, franchises, uh, it's Skynet realizing humans are the enemy and unleashing a nuclear attack <laughs> on mankind, right? To wipe out mankind entirely. So the black elite is starting to, I, I really think we're seeing it in front of our eyes over the last 10 or 15 years, especially with the apotheosis of the black elite being uh, Barack Obama, Uh of this otherness of their of their separateness from the rest of us and i'm just talking about black folks right so watching uh watching blackish i'm supposed to be laughing but then i realize, well who am i laughing at who are the butt of these jokes oh it's my cousins it's my nephews it's my nieces what <laughs> this isn't funny and then the other thing about blackish is, you know, again back to the name of it. I guess I can't escape the name. Blackish. Kinda black, but not really. It used to it reminded me of a uh, when I um was going through grade school at a Catholic school, small Catholic school, uh my friend and sometime correspondent on this show, B T, he and I were the out of three hundred students we were only two black students, and it was not uncommon to hear things like, Oh, Lester you're not like the other Blacks. And people would mean that as a compliment. And so when I would watch Blackish and I would hear these lines, I would be wondering, are they signaling you know, to their buddies out there, their white buddies on the left, are they signaling we're Black but not Black like them? Is is, is, is that that what that's about? Because in those social settings, when I was growing up, you were supposed to accept that as a compliment when someone would say, oh, you're not like other blacks. And you were supposed to just take the pat on the head and your chest was supposed to swell with pride, right? No, man, what? What are you saying? And it looks to me like when I watched Blackish, people were like, yep, we're not like them and we're proud of it. Don't you like us better? And the other thing I had a problem with with the name, uh, I told you it was several levels. I wasn't kidding. Uh, Blackish. Now, ish being the slang for vulgarity. And so I'm wondering uh, did blackish mean blackish? Like the ish we have to deal with as black people or dealing with other black people? But, you know, either way, when I watched Blackish, I wasn't thinking of the Huxtables. I was thinking about all the off-colored jokes people would tell when they forgot I was in the room. That's what it was like watching Blackish. They forgot we got TVs too, <laughs> right? You broadcast this, we're watching it, we hear what you're saying. Do you care? So, anyway, that's Blackish. I wanted to get that out of the way only because Kenya Barris wrote for Blackish is really based on him. And so now he comes back with Black AF, which is different in a lot of ways that are kind of striking. And I don't know if it's consciously different or not, but that's what made it interesting to me. So, anyway, after the break, we're going to get into Black AF. But before we do, before we go to the break, let me give you uh, some general thoughts before we dive into some more particular thoughts. One, I was predisposed, like I said to dislike the show based on my history with blackish and just from walking in and out of a room and and hearing you know the show out of context or just not really paying attention. Uh, again, the title of this show to me is a giveaway of what's inside the book, so to speak, so I just thought, you know what's gonna happen here? uh then another general thought i would have about the, i did i do have about the show is Rashida Jones starring in a show titled Black AF is on its face no pun intended uh ridiculous she's Quincy Jones's daughter so i guess she's black but are we still doing the one drop rule is is that is that still a thing after all this time you know the one drop rule you you're, you're One drop of black blood, you're black, I guess. I mean, uh, she doesn't have to be black. And I would bet my house that if this were 1920 or 1820, she would not identify as black. The fact that she does on this show, as is her right, uh, it just underscores the fallacious caterwauling of the black elite. Uh, You know, <laughs> they see racism behind every tree, right, or under every rock. But being black has never been more popular. Rachel Dolezal was pretending; is still pretending to be black, so she could be head of the NAACP somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Washington. She's still writing books like she's black. Sean King, also known as Martin Luther Cream, also known as Talcum X. Head of the Black Lives Matter. That dude's not even black. But he's he's fully invested in, in making people believe he is. Who buys most of the rap music? Who buys most of the tickets to rap concerts? It's not black folks. The entire country right now is watching a 10-part documentary about a black basketball player. And the NBA isn't, isn't even a popular professional league. Not, not compared to baseball or football, certainly. And so we're supposed to believe racism is stronger than ever, according to the professional blacks acting out racial trauma on television every night or in the movies every year or on social media every day? Please, man. Miss me with all that, as the young folks say. So having said that, the show is funny. Lots of bad language, like I said, so I'm not recommending it to you, but... I'll say Kenya Barris, I keep messing up his name, is talented. He obviously cares about quality. He's not trying to get something blessed by studios just because he's black. In fact, episode six is as close to honest introspection as you will get from the black creative class. It's front row signaling from the black faces on the front row, but I have to admit, I liked it. So finally, we're to the break, and when we come back, we'll jump into the show in more detail. Okay, we're back. So, we have talked about the continuity between blackish and black AF. There's continuity, but more discontinuity between black AF and, if we go back to the 1970s, shows like Good Times and The Jeffersons. I think people tend to watch these shows with black casts and characters and put them in one continuum which is fair but it's not the entire story if you're not paying attention so good times is the melodrama of watching a family pull together and bond through adversity the noble poor black af is the farce of watching a family manage psychological hurdles imagined slights and problems of their own creation In other words, the degenerate rich. Good Times, the mother is Florida Evans, played by Esther Roll. And then in Blackish and Black AF, you have Tracy Ellis Ross and Rashida Jones playing the mothers and wives. In Good Times, Florida Evans, Esther Roll, she is helpless. She is worried. High level of anxiety for her family, for her husband. But she's hopeful. Always, always, always carrying a bit of hope with her. And her character is able to maintain that hope because all of her hope is not centered on this world and what it has to offer. The Rashida Jones character and even the... the. Uh, Tracy Ross character in Blackish, they have nothing to be hopeful about because they have everything they want right now, and it's making them miserable. They're willful, full of agency. They can do whatever they want, right? And they want more, and what they want, yeah, what they want is they want more of what is making them sick, more money, more control. Like Esther Rolle, though they are bystanders in the lives of their children. But Esther Rolle, from what uh, not that she doesn't provide moral guidance, but because of the situation they find themselves in, there's not much she can do to dive in to help her children. She is helpless in that regard. Um, Rashida Jones's character is not helpless at all, but really provides very little moral content for the family. If you had a Good Times episode where Florida Evans was given $100 million, that episode, if it was true to the character, that episode would end with her giving almost all of it away. A blackish, black AF episode with the wife character receiving $100 million would end with them wondering if $100 million is enough and weren't they supposed to get 150? Who stole the rest of it? So what we have now, even though Good Times is not, <laughs> it's not the model show for black America, neither was Sanford and Son, neither was the Jeffersons, it does get to something that has been lost in black America where this soulless materialism has taken root in people who were, by and large, Christian. So a Florida Evans resonates with us because uh, the the Christian backbone, the Christian spine of Black America, believed in God, and therefore it believed in prayer, and therefore it believed that there was always hope, things would get better, people would improve, maybe not necessarily of their own uh, efforts, but they would be improved. By the god they worship that all of that has been lost in black america it's not hard to see that if you have two eyes and a brain black america is wealthier than it's ever been but by some metrics it's poorer than it has been even as uh You know we've received our full civil rights even as we are even more tightly integrated and assimilated into society even as we make material gains or things we're losing in our families and i think if you start at good times and end with black af there's an arc there and it's not a positive arc even though the bank accounts are much fatter if you look at the father characters, John Amos, who played the Good Times dad, he'd die for his family. His character was killed off, but he was a a, uh, a strong presence in his family. Curious that uh, you know they couldn't get out of the ghetto with that man with that kind of drive. But you know that's a Norman Lear problem. Maybe we'll talk about that in a second. But John Amos, he would die for his family. Kenyon Burris, his dad character, will buy everything in the world for his kids. But don't ask him for more than that. His kids almost get in the way of his happiness. And again, I think that's an accurate reflection where American society is, where children are in many cases seen as uh, impediments to happiness and fulfillment rather than uh, additions or making uh, your happiness even fuller. Also looking at John Amos, he is indisputably, undeniably, unapologetically black. As the montage for black (laughs) uh, BAF begins every show, you know, with pictures of Obama and um, with a montage of Obama and Mandela and Malcolm X talking about how it's unapologetically black, undeniably black. Somehow, Colin Powell is in that montage. I don't get that, but, you know, the show claims all of these adverbs for itself and adjectives for itself. But John Amos was the embodiment of an unapologetically black man. And he wouldn't need to invite his relatives to a cookout so his kids could see how real blacks behave, which is something that happened in one of the Black AF episodes where... Uh, Kenya invited his black relatives from Inglewood for a barbecue for a cookout so that his children can see like, wow, these, this is what it's like to be black. These are real black people, right? So if you're unapologetically black, why do you need to import people from Inglewood and observe them like it's an experiment? So what his kids learn and what the the uh, wife teaches is that really... Blackness and knowing black people is like an amulet that you wear. Kenya's black roots, his black relatives, are like an amulet he wears uh, in his white professional world. His relatives, his um, roots, they give him credibility or currency, as his wife explains to their children. And this is uh, episode six. If you wanted to skip a few episodes just to watch that, episode six is a very interesting episode. Um, so Kenya's family is brought in, kind of like here, kids. Look, this is where your dad came from. Look at these folks over here. It is uh, is not spoken, but it is obvious that there's a divide between us and them. We need all of their dysfunction. We need all of their otherness. We need all of their um, struggle and pain we need that added to our account so when we walk the hallways where we walk we can claim that mantle and always remain victims in the black elite world performative blackness is always the trump card and if you compare black af with good times in Mo- most black shows, really, it will portray blackness as all that black Americans have. It's the role, somehow, we were born to play, right? So there's a, there's a role assigned to us in the black television shows. Kind of reinforce that. Act in this manner. Expect these things. There's no other lane for you. There's no other place for you here other than to fulfill this role as the black person, whether it's an aggrieved black person, angry black person, uh, estranged black person, disaffected black person, black person who's gonna turn things over, speak for justice or whatever. That seems to be the role assigned to us and whether you're poor or and, and really don't have the means to, uh, to fulfill that role but you can just be the objects of pity or scorn or whatever, that does it. And if you're wealthy, you can still fulfill that role, because now you're filled with this righteous anger, not really anymore for the lower class blacks, mainly for yourself, but you can still fill your role. So in 40 years on the calendar, you know, since good times, we've, we've moved that far, but the story's still the same. So in the 1970s, it was blacks overcoming poverty. In this decade, in the early 21st century, it's blacks overcoming affluence. Black AF is more like the Jeffersons, though, in this regard. Uh, in good times, an invisible white power structure held the Evans family down. There was always something against the Evans family. We all knew who it was. It was the evil white guy, right? He's holding the Evans family black. I mean, <laughs> Evans family back. Uh, even though they're self-evidently moral and talented people, they can't get ahead, and we all get why. In the Jeffersons and in Black AF, the white power structure is visible. George Jefferson took pleasure in insulting it and literally slamming the door in his hapless white neighbor's face. So it's that visible in his poor neighbor. Um, The British guy would come over and George would insult him and his black wife and then slam the door in her face and everyone would laugh. So in Black AF, Kenya Barris' world is even more integrated than George Jefferson's george jefferson and wheezy they moved on up right to the east side big high-rise apartment they're out of their former circumstances they're there but they're not really part of what's going on with the wealthy folks right kenya barris is plugged in in fact his staff and his team is uh half or most mostly white his team that uh he manages his team of writers even though he's more integrated into society and actually has maybe a little more authority than George Jefferson, who was a dry cleaner. Um, Kenya Barris, his character, harbors the same suspicion of whites as George Jefferson, though. Which is interesting. What's also interesting is the fact that the whites of Kenya Barris' world are uniformly left-wing progressives who all undoubtedly voted the same way he did in 2008 and 2012. George Jefferson's great bane, if you recall, was Archie Bunker, the reactionary white wing. <laughs> did I say white wing? <laughs> right wing, white guy, right? The, the blue, cl- uh, blue collar, lower class, working class, white guy. He was the bane of George Jefferson. We'll fast forward. Kenya Barris also has white folks standing in his way who don't really see him as their equal, and it's interesting that they are now affluent white leftists and progressives. I don't think that Kenya quite sees that. I would tell you, hey, Kenya, the bigots are all around you, but you can't seem to draw any conclusions <laughs> about their thoughts and how that informs their policies. Sad as someone famous would tweet. Um, so it's interesting, the the, uh, the people standing away of uh, or the obstacles, the haters if you will, in 40 years time have changed from Archie Bunker to very earnest, very polite, highly educated, affluent uh, white guys and white women who actually work for the powerful black man? So in a way, Barris's portrayal of blacks matches Norman Lear's, the guy who created Good Times and the Jeffersons and um, ten million other shows. Right, the famous, very far left Norman Lear. It makes sense that Barris' portrayal of Blacks would match Lear's because they are on the same end of the political spectrum. Their portrayal of Blacks, ultimately, if you boil it down, shows that Blackness is actually defined by its relation to and interaction with white folks. Blacks really don't have the agency that they think they have. They don't have any. And Blacks can only advance through fortune or benevolence. Every episode of Black AF begins kind of with a joke, but every episode is titled, This is Because of, because of Slavery. Oh, no, really. This also is because of slavery. Hey, you're not going to believe this, but this also is kind of a running gag, and there's a prologue of, uh, with that on there for, uh, on, on the screen for every episode. So if you look at uh, John Evans of The uh, Good Times, The Good Times Dad, he has no clue on how to get out. He has no clue on how to move up. Except he's going to work hard and keep trying and, you know, try to get a job, try to keep a job. But he has no idea how he's going to get his family out of the project. Kenya Barris knows. He knows how. He's done it. But he never really tells you how. Why not? Is there something he gave up to get what he has? Is there some aspect of the choices he made that he's ashamed of? And he's not alone in this. I mean, I could go to Spike Lee, John Singleton, a lot of black creatives who are successful who never tell the stories. The up from slavery and the narrative of Frederick Douglass stories, they don't exist. Why not? Why aren't these stories being told of successful blacks? Where are they? I'm sure they're there. Are they that boring that you couldn't dramatize them? Are they ashamed of the choices they made? To go to school, to stay out of trouble, you know, actually obey the law? Get married, stay married? Where are those stories? So I wonder about this. So there's a scene, I'm gonna jump to another black show, uh, The Wire. One of the main characters in season one, he's arrested, he's got drugs in his car, and he's finally like, I'm just done with this. He's always been doubtful of the entire enterprise from the jump, but his family has, going back to his grandfather, they've been drug traffickers in the city of Baltimore. So here he is, he's arrested, and he's just spilling the beans, right? He's telling, he's telling the, the prosecutors everything, where all the bodies are, literally, and who's moving the dope. And so he's decided, like, yeah, you know, in order to get witness protection, in order to one day get out of jail and get a new life, uh, a new name, new life somewhere else, and to get away from this life he's had, he's going to tell everybody. So he's even had himself, he, you know, he's even been moved from one prison to another so his family can't find him. And he's gone along with that. But, of course, his mother finds him. She tracks him down. She comes to see him. And he's explaining to her, look, I'm giving you guys up. He tells her, they're offering me a chance to start over, to be free of all this. And she looks at him and she says, yeah, and what are you giving them? And it's a powerful scene. And at the end, he has recanted his testimony. And obviously, he's going to go do the full term of his prison sentence and not give up anybody. And I thought about that scene when I, when I watch certain scenes in Black AF and when I watch or listen to interviews with some of the more prominent black people in our society. They seem to believe something was traded away dishonorably. That's the nearest I can get to it because we never get, like I said, we never get the success story. We never get, this is how, I, grind, this is how I, I grinded it out all these years. I started here and I ended up here. And these are the obstacles I overcame. And this is how hard I worked. And this is what I did in school. And these are the failures I had in life, in business or in my field. And this is how I made it. And you can too, if you do what I did, right? We don't get that. I think Black guilt is real, and I think we're seeing it played out on our screens. So when you have a show like Black AF and it's using or blackish and it's using black people as props uh, or amulets, as I said, I think it's just oh, they don't they're not in the community, they don't speak for the community. And they're just trying to put some distance between them and where they left. I don't think they feel really good about that. But it's where they are now and they can't bring those folks with them. On the other hand, it could be that they really don't know what to do with their freedom other than to stay close to their, I'll say this, Uh, in quotes former masters or superiors and mimic them from their tastes to their beliefs maybe that's all it is right so when you had the the slaves were set free where were they going to go what were they going to do who were they going to learn from obviously they're just going to mimic on what's around them from the way they spoke to the way they dressed to what they ate they picked up the obviously the greater society around them. They picked that up and to the best of their ability tried to live up to those standards from what they could understand. So here, Kenya's around my age, we're the f- first generation to be born, born with all of our civil rights recognized by the government. What do you do with all that, right? You know, black people weren't getting $100 million from, uh, from TV or, or movie studios years ago, right? This kind of, this level of ex- success and acceptance, that's a different kind of standard. That's a different kind of burden you've got to carry, right? We've put our arms around you. We love you. Come on in. We're going to throw cash at you. Make us laugh. Entertain us. Be part of what we've got going on here. And it's contrary to what they're bringing with them, right? It's like we're bringing through the door this resentment, this animosity, this feeling that you don't like us, and then we get here and it's not really like that. What do we do? Do we let go of all that and betray all the people who couldn't get through the door um, and just let it down and just join the party? Or do we come in kind of grudgingly and say, yeah, I'm here, but I'm gonna act a certain way just to let you know that I'm just like the people outside. It's all very tempting to do that, to try to get people, to manipulate people in a way uh, and to let them know that uh, you still have some sort of moral or emotional card you can play over them. But it's the black man's burden, the successful, affluent black man's burden. What do I do with everybody else who didn't make it with me? So I'll say this in this segment. Um, we'll try to move it along here. Almost every episode has a propaganda moment. That made it tough. Uh, uh, one of the characters, usually the oldest daughter, she breaks the fourth wall, or his second oldest daughter, should say she breaks the fourth wall to give the audience a history lesson or push some dubious social research claims. One of the episodes, episode five, is particularly egregious. I won't go too much into it other than to say that um you know she was talking about black fathers that's what the episode was about and they gave us some poor pseudo social science about how black fathers are more involved with their children and other fathers never once mentioning the word marriage which would kind of blow up that entire segment but i'll move on and then uh there's actually a ridiculous claim made in the first episode that might turn some people off but it's kind of silly uh where, where Barris talks about how blacks, the DNA of blacks, has literally been changed by the trauma of slavery. Uh, Africans might have had their DNA changed because of slavery, but it wasn't in the way that Barris was talking about. But yet, with even all of the grading propaganda and the ubiquitous homages to Obama, it is possible to detect an undercurrent of disbelief in progressive orthodoxy. This is where it was. The show was making me, you know, sit up and pay attention. My spider sense was tingling by some of the lines and some of the scenes there. Um, you know, there are scenes where, there, and there are lines in those scenes where characters are derided for being social justice warriors. Where sometimes it's less obvious, like the running, believe it or not, this too is because, because of slavery gag, right? It's so absurd. You know, the stretches that they make to link whatever's going on in the episode to slavery made me think that Barris is screaming, I love Big Brother a little too loudly during the two minutes hate required by the regime. I wonder. Some of those scenes made me think hmm. If I look closely enough, is Barris blinking in Morse code to the rest of us? I don't know. Okay, we'll come back, give you my final thoughts on Black AF after this. Okay, we're back with a final few notes about Black AF. So is Barris making a fortune telling fabulous stories about a place and people with which he no longer has a connection? Are those stories helping or hurting his people? I don't know him. I don't know what kind of connection he has. But I'll say this, more than most in his position, I think, he thinks about it. And so credit to him. And if you're on the white left, the portrayal of white liberals... Uh, too familiar, not honest, paternalistic. That portrayal is not favorable, so uh, be careful if those are your political sympathies. You're not on the screen as a uh, sympathetic character, I'll say that. Malcolm Gladwell has said that he emphatically, he said it emphatically, that he loves Black AF. He shouldn't. Uh, Barriss... I think is smart enough to at least suspect he may be in the club, but uh, he's not part of the club. So fair warning to my listeners out there on the left. Uh, the daughter making this so the show is shot in documentary form, kind of like The Office. So the second daughter is using it as her pro, uh, project to submit to uh, NYU to get in uh, to get into their I think their film school. So it's shot as if she's making a documentary. In the very first episode, she uses the term racial profiteer to describe her dad, Kenya Barris. Well, he's the writer. That line didn't make it into the very first episode by accident. He makes his living as a writer. He places words carefully. Episode six, uh, maybe the strongest episode or one of the stronger ones. So, episode six, Kenya is dismayed to learn his Englewood relatives were entertained and pleased by the newest black movie. And Barris thinks the movie is indisputably awful, embarrassing, and terrible. He had had that opinion, and one of the reasons he invited people to the cookout I mentioned before, he wanted to screen this uh, film with them before it hit the public. He's astonished that they all love it. So he takes up the question... Is the black elite really qualified to be the tastemakers for the non-elite? You might notice our country is in the middle of a tug-of-war between the elites and the non-elites, the globalists and the nationalists, right? Well, I would say that the elites of every stripe don't really take that question seriously. Are we? Who are we to decide what's good? And Kenya actually asks that question of his wife in the episode. Who are we to decide what's good? He also takes up the question... Uh, about are we afraid to be honest about black movies are we afraid to be honest about black culture is a subsidiary of that question it's not somewhere he wants to go but it's a question the black elite will inevitably have to face if they honestly wrestle with the question barris did pose which is you know do we have to say everything black coming out of hollywood is good are we duty bound to do that can't we question the quality can't we question how it was put together the subject matter can't we question that and that is very dangerous for him to start raising those questions and i think he did this in his episode in, in earnest because as i said if you start questioning that then everything becomes fair game to question in black culture the black elite don't want to question that The only times they would get mad at Obama is when he would maybe very, very lightly scold black people for behavior. And they would say, oh, don't put our business out in the streets. He can't do that. So he uses this particular episode as a vehicle to criticize black movies. Unheard of. And he basically interviews, interrogates the Tyler Perry genre by actually interviewing, interrogating Tyler Perry himself. He works Tyler Perry into the episode. Perry comes off very well, actually, uh, in, in the scene. So I recommend this episode to you. And so Kenya goes through the, goes through the episode, and uh, you know, at one point he says, I really care what white people think. He doesn't want to, but he feels like he's compelled to, that he has to, that his actions are constrained by how whites feel about him or think about him. It is the racial panic of the elite they've left behind they've cut off their roots they're here they're fully integrated they're doing well they're successful and they're with people that they suspect really don't think well of them oh you're not like everyone else and that question that kind of statement hits them wrong at least the ones being honest with themselves he says am i trash he wonders is his work only accepted because he's black because he's black And all of his subject matter all the time is black. Is he the token in the room to tell us what it's really like in the hood? But his work isn't really any good. He says in the episode, we need to figure out a way to police our own work. (laughs) That is a loaded, loaded phrase. I think he's smart enough to have thought that through. Because what he's really saying is, we have to figure out a way to independence. He I think he knows that if he doesn't know it just yet, he's going it that question is going to hit him right in the face. So I applaud Kenya for asking questions that are never asked in public out loud by blacks of stature, of influence, of wealth. One, is it okay for us to question our actions, our beliefs, what we're doing? Two Can't there be some way that we do this and kind of police ourselves and have standards and impose those standards across the board, the right standards that will lift people up to a higher plane or a better way of living? Super interesting episode. I don't think that he writes lightly. I don't think he brings these things up because this seems very autobiographical and personal to me. Black AF. Black AF. So anyway, that's going to conclude my thoughts on the Netflix series. It's eight episodes. It's running right now. If you want to watch it and really just enjoy it and not do what I do like I'm some sort of psycho which is just analyze everything instead of just sitting back and enjoying it. It is something you can enjoy and again, I'll warn you If you don't like swearing, you probably should not um, watch it. Uh, But, you know, you'll laugh. Okay, so we're going to end it right there today. I hope you enjoyed um, hearing my thoughts on Black AF and Black television in general. It's a subject I want to come back to because it really does track, I think, some of these TV shows where black america is some of it is aspirational and some of it is just fantasy but it does track pretty closely to where we are in the society so thanks for listening thanks for uh, letting me into your devices this week again you can catch me on twitter at lester of compton at lester of compton. I'm sub- that that handle is subject to change I'll keep you posted if it does you can catch me on my blog when I sit down and decide to discipline my mind to try to marshal what is left of my very limited writing ability to write you can uh, catch me at domingusvalley.home.blog and until next time later homies